The last page has been turned in my most recent read, and though I said I would be talking about a comedic historical romance today, something about the books I read this week changed my mind. The book I plan on talking about is the first in a spin-off fantasy stroke romanticy series, and the final book is due to come out in a few short weeks. So here I am, no spoilers, as opinion-filled as ever and ready to roll, all of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I take a cautious step into the magnificent North, a world full of broken hearts and immortal fates in Once Upon a Broken Heart by Stephanie Garber. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. changing my mind quite often when it comes to the books I'm talking about on these episodes. I'm not sure if it's purely because I am just indecisive or if it's down to the fact that as I read one book I realise there is far more to talk about than the one I read before. I read this particular book in one lunch break and a short evening reading session and as I turned the pages I realised that I needed to get my thoughts down. So here we are. For as long as she can remember, Evangeline Fox has believed in happily ever after, until she learns that the love of her life is about to marry another and her dreams are shattered. Desperate to stop the wedding and heal her wounded heart, Evangeline strikes a deal with the charismatic but wicked Prince of Hearts. In exchange for his help, he asks for three kisses to be given at the time and place of his choosing. But after Evangeline's first promised kiss, she learns that bargaining with an immortal is a dangerous game and that the Prince of Hearts wants far more from her than she pledged. He has plans for Evangeline, plans that will either end in the greatest happily ever after or the most exquisite tragedy. Evangeline Fox is heartbroken. Not only has her beloved Luke forsaken her, but he is to marry her stepsister Marisol. On the day that they are due to be wed, she finds herself in the church of the Prince of Hearts, who, it is said, is forever searching for his lost love, and any woman he kisses on this search will die, and there have been hundreds who have unfortunately found this fate. On entering the church, she spies a young man who appears insane with grief, but she is so intent on her goal, wishing for help, that she pays him little mind. As she makes her wish, she realises that she is being observed by someone snide and cruel who mocks her for wishing for something, anything, to stop the nuptials from taking place. If he loved you back, he wouldn't be marrying someone else. End of story. Evangeline doesn't want to hear anything said against Luke, for she is sure that he must have been cursed to love her stepsister instead of her, by Marisol's mother, Agnes. There can be no other reason why his affections would so suddenly shift. It turns out that the mocking young man who is handsome beyond reason is the mysterious Prince of Hearts, Jax. These myths about his kiss are true, 
and for a reason that only later becomes apparent, he agrees to help Evangeline to stop the wedding at whatever cost. He bargains with her, three kisses at times of his choosing, in exchange for carrying out her wish. Of course, you should never bargain with a fate, a mistake she soon learns at her peril, for when she arrives at the wedding, everyone has been turned to stone, including Luke. But this isn't what Evangeline wanted. However, as Jack so accurately but cruelly points out, she didn't dictate how it was to be done, just that it had to happen. Furious and horrified at what has happened, kind of understandably, she takes a sip of the poison that the wedding party drank and takes the place of the unfortunate couple and their guests, sure that Luke will do anything in his power to save her because they're in love. Six weeks later, Evangeline's sacrifice has made her famous, but it wasn't Luke's sacrifice that turned her from stone back to human. It was a bargain that Jack's made with another of the fates. So it's becoming ever clearer that there is something else going on here, something far bigger than Evangeline and her disastrous wedding attempts, or at least her attempts at destroying someone else's wedding plans. Her fame has spread far and wide, and men from all over have come to seek out her hand in marriage, something that her stepmother Agnes is taking advantage of. She may or may not be evil, but she is always in search of ways to make the most out of a bad situation. Evangeline is still living in a little world of her own, and nothing anyone says or does can persuade her to look beyond it, even when it's revealed that despite what happened to her, Luke and Marisol attempted to get married again. And he wrote Marisol love notes declaring how much he cared for her which I kind of think was really cruel for Agnes to show her, even though she did need to be brought out of this delusional belief that he loved her. Evangeline's fame has grown so much that she is chosen by the Empress of the Meridian Empire to represent Valenda at a ball in the Magnificent North, where the Crown Prince Apollo is choosing a bride. Little does she realise when she accepts the invitation and persuades Agnes that taking Marisol with her is a good idea that she is going to be doing exactly what Jax wants and placing herself in a situation that will have potentially disastrous effects on her entire life. When she arrives in the north, it is like coming home. All the fairy tales that her mother told her are there in front of her. The dragon-roasted apples, the vibrant streets and the people... It is incredible and Evangeline is so enthusiastic that this emotion spreads to Marisol, who has been hiding away and shrinking into a shadow of her former self since the two disastrous weddings that never were. The first night in the city, Evangeline meets Prince Apollo. He is as handsome as the stories proclaimed, but what they didn't tell her was that his best friend and advisor would be very familiar, albeit with blue rather than blonde hair. Jax is in the castle and he is out to get her to start paying her debt to him. The next night, at the ball where Apollo is to announce his bride, she is instructed to kiss the prince, the first of her three kisses, or she will die. Unlike many of the books I've looked at recently, Once Upon a Broken Heart has been out for a while. In fact, it was released in 2021. 
It has been out long enough that the third and final book in the series is due to come out shortly, I think October the 23rd. I was very late to the game with this one, which I am happy to admit. I'm always late to the game. Well, not always, but most of the time. I still haven't read Caraval, Legendary and Finale and right now plans to read The Ballad of Never After, the sequel to this one, are on hold as I try something from another shelf in my collection. Mood readers, unite! Yeah, I'm constantly changing my mind on what I want to pick up. I actually picked up this book before I bought the rest or the first series, the Caravel series, but I was informed when I posted a picture of my latest book editions, I think around somewhere at the end of 2022, that I couldn't read this before I'd read Caravel because it wouldn't make sense. Fast forward almost a year and I picked this off the shelf blindly. Literally, I held my hand out and went, I'll have that one. It was pitch black in here. I had to leave for work early. And I knew I couldn't go in without a book to read at lunchtime. However, there was a minute parcel of doubt in my mind. What if I didn't like it? Was I then destined to spend the whole of my lunch break reading MCU fan fiction? Not that that's a hardship. Some of it's really well written. As I've already mentioned, I read over 100 pages of this book over lunch and then finished it that evening while catching up on The New Neighbours. I hadn't watched a soap in more than 20 years, but I have watched every single episode of the reboot so far. It's actually not that bad and Guy Pearce is in it. It's like, seriously? Because of the way that I picked the book off the shelf, I didn't even bother to read the back of it before I started reading. In fact, until I included it in this episode, I'm not sure if I ever really paid attention to the blurb at all. I also didn't bother to check any of the reviews before I bought or read it, which is likely why when I was told that I shouldn't read it without reading Caraval, I actually postponed plans to do so. Reading reviews of this and most other fantasies is a definite way to find out every single plot point because some of these reviews are so detailed, they're like reading a dissertation. Reviews are one of the many ways that show how different we are. What is one person's favourite book of all time will be one that others have unhauled or DNF'd. Look at how people react to authors like Colleen Hoover or Sarah J Mass as an example. While one person will fall in love with a specific character, another will wish they'd decide to take a long walk off a shore pier or be the unfortunate murder victim if it's a thriller or a murder mystery. It can be quite entertaining to read through reviews and discover what other people loved and hated about a book and then find that the next review is the complete opposite. For every single reviewer who loves the book they've just read, there is someone who found things to dislike. Though there are people who are just middle of the road, finding nothing particularly contentious, but also not enjoying the book as much as others have. And opinions can change over time, whether that's with a second reading or the opportunity to think over what you've read in more detail. As always, I want to give you a balanced perspective, because hearing views from both ends of the spectrum is important. Sure, I may not share them, and they may have found something entirely different in the book when they read it, but that doesn't mean their opinion, or mine, is any less valid. This is just how they felt about it. 
Of course, as I always say, don't let these reviews, including mine, sway you. Make your own decisions. Read with Zoe really didn't enjoy the book and therefore really the only choice she had when rating it was one star. She said, I was so excited to read this book and it was so painful. The main character makes one stupid decision after another, then howls for three chapters over those decisions, only to make another stupid decision again, despite being told it's a stupid decision. She's stupid, naive, trusts the wrong people, tries to help people who don't give a damn about her, and probably wouldn't even come to her funeral. At a certain point, I lost track of what the point of this book was, and then it came to me. She's the chosen one for some stuff. The ending was questionable, and my favourite topic was again a point, namely consent. Anyone here know what that is? But now, seriously, what was the end? Why didn't anyone notice that someone was gone? Though the points that Zoe brings up in her review weren't clearly mentioned in the 30 or so other reviews I read through to find a summary that wasn't spoiler-filled or extensively long, her dislike is shared by a considerable number. But as I've already established, for some reason, the fantasy genre is the one that seems the most polarising. There isn't much of a middle ground. Either you love the book and the author, or you hate it. And because of that, these reviews are all the more entertaining. Seriously. Though I may not share all the opinions, the fact that they go to so much effort to write these reviews gives me another level of enjoyment when I'm putting together these episodes. I do prefer it when there are a lot of reviews to look through, but it can also make it difficult, especially when the book is fantasy. This book specifically has attracted a lot of essay opinion pieces on sites like Goodreads. And if you want to read some of the more humorous ones, they will take some time. But I would recommend it personally after you've read the book and developed your own views, though. Having been out for over two years, Once Upon a Broken Heart has gathered a lot of reviews and opinions from people who both loved and loathed it. That there is such a clear divide is obvious when reading through the extensive commentary. However, it is still doing well when it comes to ratings and overall currently stands at 4.12, which is, I think, still impressive. The number of reviews is still relatively low in comparison with other books in this genre, but I guess it does depend on what you're comparing this figure to. I think authors who are writing in other genres would be really happy with this number of reviews. It currently has 166,728 ratings and 26,317 full reviews. Yes, you heard me right. 166,728 A whopping 77% of the reviews and ratings, which works out at 113,110, are four and five stars, and a total of 4%, or 7,874 reviewers, rated the book one or two stars as a read. As with the majority of fantasy series, there were a number of DNF reviews, people who had made it 10, 20 or maybe 30% through before abandoning it as a bad choice. Many of these had issues with the fact that the book wasn't as well written as the previous series, Caraval. I really should read that. 
I do have it. They also took issue with the fact that the so-called MMC, or potential romantic interest, was anything but romantic or heroic or anything else positive. There's morally grey, and they considered Jacks or the Prince of Hearts to not even be that nice. One person referred to him as simply evil. This goes to show you that many won't just like someone because he's described as beautiful or incredibly handsome and occasionally does things that could possibly, while squinting, appear to be nice. Ellie gave the book five stars and said, This was definitely a case of right book at the right time for me. I absolutely loved it. Once Upon a Broken Heart follows Evangeline, forced to make a deal with the Prince of Hearts for true love. However, she quickly learns that bargaining with a fate is not a good idea. What does he really want from her? I want to preface my review by highlighting that the writing style felt very young. I would say that it was on the much younger side of YA, almost a stopgap between middle grade and YA fiction. I absolutely loved it. I found it so quick and easy to read. I didn't need to think very hard, but I know that this writing style won't suit everyone's tastes. I also loved the enchanting world that Garber created. I was swept away by magic, miniature dragons that can make delicious treats, and true love. I feel so confused now that I've finished reading because I still have no idea what's going on and who can be trusted. Garber was all able to completely blindside me with one twist which I always love. I also adored how the different truths and layers were slowly peeled back, showing quite a complex plot and characters. Each unfurling layer brought new revelations and questions. I just could not get enough and cannot wait to read more by Garber now. I would recommend this book to any fans of YA fantasy novels, as long as you don't mind it being on the younger side. This is not my first fantasy read, not by a long shot. However, this is the first book that I have read by Stephanie Garber, so it's the book that will set the scene for me. Was it the best book to start with? Only time will tell. There are four more on the shelf for me to dig my teeth into. And of course, that will take time. But as I am on a TBR pile read at the moment, I will get to them eventually. Sometimes there is nothing more entertaining than reading through a mass of reviews to see who did and didn't share your views. It can be that a reviewer manages to identify and explain something that was niggling as you read the book but you just weren't able to put your finger on what it was at the time. And with the realisation that they have managed to put down in words the feeling that you were having comes relief. You know that one. Something doesn't feel quite right and you're struggling to identify it. That's what I really love about reading through reviews, even if I don't agree with everything that's being said at the time. Everyone is different and what I want from a book when I pick it up may not be the same something that someone else wants. Sometimes I want nothing more than to sink into the familiar and gain comfort, while at other times I'm looking for excitement and adventure. This appears to be the case with Once Upon a Broken Heart and Stephanie Garber. She is a beloved author to quite a number of the reviewers who rated and hated the book, so there was an element of disappointment connected to their reviews, while of course others loved it and felt that she had given them exactly what they wanted. 
Sometimes I wish I could understand far more about the motives behind a review. Knowing what a reader was thinking about the book and why they had picked it up would make it so much easier to know why they liked it or they didn't. Some reviews, it seems, are written by people who had similar thoughts. But as anyone who has been part of a book club could tell you, this happens often. If one person notices a plot hole, then the chances are someone else will do too. However, I will also always advise you that you take any and every review with a generous pinch of salt. I'm always happy to give book recommendations, as are many book readers, but like everything, they are very personal. So if you've got limited time, think about the books you've read and already enjoyed, and maybe think about TV shows and films that you like as well, because that is the first step to finding a genre or an author that you will enjoy. There's no guarantee that any book you're recommended is going to be a top 10 read, but sometimes you just have to take a chance. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Once Upon a Broken Heart by Stephanie Garber. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? Normally, when I've finished a book, I can sit down and immediately say, yes, I loved this, or, well, it was okay, but... On this occasion, I have been thinking about how to answer this particular question for a few days, in fact, almost a week, and I'm not sure why. I like being definitive. I know that occasionally I have started out absolutely loving something, and halfway through writing my review, I've realised that pretty much everything I have said has been negative, as was the case with Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross, much to my surprise, actually. Once Upon a Broken Heart is a bit of an oddity in that I can honestly say my feelings on it are a mixed bag. There were a lot of things to recommend it. The first thing being that I read through this book so quickly that I know the story flowed well. Some reviews mentioned that the plot felt slow moving or it was very, very young adult and compared it to its predecessors finding it wanting. However, coming to the book having read none of Garber's previous work, I had nothing to judge it against, at least by her anyway. As I read through the book, I could see the fairy tale influences from Evangeline's relationship with her stepfamily, she is suspicious of them and automatically her stepmother Agnes becomes the guilty party when things go wrong in Evangeline's life. She is the evil stepmother, the wicked queen, the heartless witch. The book is full of twists and turns. We even have a role reversal in Mortal Sleep. I enjoyed these elements of the book. I found that they were at turns amusing and interesting. However, there were also points that I found frustrating and none were more so than the naivety of our main female character, Evangeline Fox. I have written my review on this book probably three times, fully written it by now and every single one of these reviews starts with the same thing Evangeline Fox is not like other girls and for some reason this particular trait annoys me 
She has beautiful rose gold hair, natural of course. She met the love of her life and he was stolen from her by her stepsister Marisol. But in a moment of heroism, some including myself might call it stupidity, she saves him and sacrifices herself, sure that he will save her. She has a superpower that no one, including herself, is aware of, and this leaves her open to being used and manipulated by others. And even when their crooked motives are almost laid out in front of her in mile-high writing, she is oblivious. The more I write about Evangeline, the less I find myself liking her. I get that she has a past that even she is unsure of. Her mother apparently came from the magnificent north and Evangeline remembers some of the tales that she told from there. However, it's obvious that Evangeline has been kept in the dark about a lot and with neither parent around to tell her or maybe warn her, she is unaware of what she is getting into. The mystery of her mother and to a degree her father is meant to make her more alluring, I guess. But instead of her past making her stronger, it seems to make her more open to trusting people she likely shouldn't. She is frustrating, delusional and oblivious. Yet despite this, she still manages to land on her feet like a cat with nine lives. I know that Jax, the Prince of Hearts and an immortal fate, is meant to be the hero. I think, anyway. I certainly know that many people are hoping that Evangeline and Jax are endgame for the series. Oh, brief PSA here. If you, like me, have yet to read The Ballad of Never After, do not, I mean, seriously, do not read the blurb for A Curse for True Love because it gives spoilers for the entire second book. Anyway, Jax, <laughs> he's an odd duck. I know that he has a role to play in the Caraval sequence and perhaps this is the reason people were telling me that I needed to read those books first. I'm only guessing here. But his unhappy love story is part of the Caraval sequence and therefore I am going into this somewhat blind as to the motives that drive his behaviour. He very clearly has his reasons for manipulating Evangeline and trapping her, forcing her to play his somewhat sick game. He is using her to achieve his own goals and I am not used to going in as blind as the characters I'm reading about. We aren't being granted an explanation for whatever Jax is doing. Why exactly does he want Evangeline in his debt? What does she have that he wants? Jax is twisted despite the way he is described seeming to try and make him enigmatic, charming and mysterious. He appears out of nowhere and you can't help but question his every action. And if you don't, you've, yeah, yeah, let, let's just leave that. He knows more than he is letting on, yet he continues to leave Evangeline in the dark while expecting her to just carry out his tasks. I guess the threat of death does kind of have a strong impact. He is crooked, dark, twisted, and not at all the sort of morally grey character I personally find attractive in a book. His looks may blind many into believing there is hope for his redemption, but upon finishing this book, I didn't think at any point he was someone I would be interested in. He's pretty on the outside, but rotten to the core. He's the snake in the garden. And all the while Evangeline is looking for the person who destroyed her relationship with Luke, she is blind to the fact that he is doing his utmost to tie her up in knots and destroy far more. His motives are not clear 
at least not yet. Again, feeling a little blind to the real plot here as a reader. Yet it's obvious that whatever he is doing, it's not good and it won't end well for anyone apart from maybe him. Further highlighting Evangeline's naivety is her relationship with her stepsister, Marisol. Nicknamed the Cursed Bride because of the events that took place at her wedding and the subsequent ceremony that also didn't take place, Marisol hides away from prying eyes and the fear of the villagers, growing more and more miserable and ghost-like. But Evangeline becomes her saviour, mostly, I think, because of guilt. Completely oblivious to the fact that Marisol is as likely to be the cause of Evangeline's romantic misery as her mother Agnes is. For most of the book, Marisol is quiet, unassuming and lacking much in the way of dimension. But there is something in the way that she behaves that screams jealousy, which eventually reveals a darker side to the young girl. Unfortunately, as with most of the peripheral characters in this book, Marisol and her motives are somewhat glossed over, a simple plot to justify Evangeline's own behaviour and further her own feelings of being the victim of cruelty from her stepfamily. World building is something that every fantasy book needs. In Shanghai Immortal, we were given an understanding of how Chow's version of the underworld came to be. In Fourth Wing, we were given an extensive history lesson that showed us why they were training people to fight, but also why there was so much resentment in the student population. In the Aurora Cycle, things came full circle. We not only discovered what led to the destruction of the world as the characters knew it, but also how they came to be where they were in the first place. I cannot state enough and many more times how well done I think this was. I honestly feel that the world I entered in Once Upon a Broken Heart could have been done with more in-book building. I know some of you are more than likely yelling, well, you should have read Caraval first. However, some people will be exactly like me and pick up this series first. Even the covers are nicer to look at than the circus tent on Caraval. And if I'm being honest, nowhere on my copy of Once Upon a Broken Heart does it say spin-off from Caraval or anything like it. I do think that a little more world building and a bit of backstory to the characters, whether they were in the previous series or not, would have gone a long way to helping me understand the book much better. Who are the immortal fates? Why did they disappear? What are these stones that are mentioned and then glossed over at a later point in the book? It's obvious that there is a lot going on and one thing I do understand from reading a few spoiler-filled reviews, I finished the book now, I can read them, is that this book and finale have a few brief moments of crossover. Yeah, that's helpful. I did feel as though certain things weren't being explained very well, but again, that could be because I haven't read the Caraval series. I guess, if I'm being honest, this is what I was pondering for a while after reading the book. Do I like the fact that in order to understand a second series, I have to read the first? Perhaps this should not have been marketed as a separate series. Maybe it should have been sold as book four rather than book one. I honestly don't know. Initially, upon finishing, I rated this book four stars, more because I finished it quickly and didn't come away feeling hugely disappointed. 
However, the more I think about it and the more I process the actions of the various characters and the lack of world building, the more I wish that the half star rating existed. Not because I'd rate it half a star, but because I'd like to go down half a star. Will I read more by Stephanie Garber? Now that I've read Once Upon a Broken Heart, I do want to find out what happens next. Part of me also really wants to learn more about Jax and what made him into the genuinely unlikable character he has become, though to be honest he could have always been that way. I don't think that I am being mean when I say that Evangeline needs to pick up her game to be someone I will care about enough to see that she gets this happily ever after she dreams of. Right now she's a wimp who annoys me, but who knows what will happen in the Ballad of Never After, apart from everyone who's already read it of course. There is plenty of time for me to pick up the other four books I own by Garber, as I am not planning on purchasing the final book in the series in hardback. Everything on my shelves need to match. And who knows, I could decide to unhaul rather than keep. Right now, it's anyone's guess. My feelings about this book are somewhat lukewarm at present, but times change and the second book could completely alter my feelings towards all the characters. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then maybe these are a good option. There are so many fantasy books to choose from that it's difficult to know where to start. This has a more fairy tale theme to it and I haven't really read fairy tales since I was small. So I guess I'll have to start by recommending my fantasy reads of the last year. Oh, guess what that means? I have to recommend Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. In my view, a quick read with great characters, extensive world building and a plot twist that legitimately made me squeak. I'm counting down the days to November the 7th and though I missed out on the special edition from Waterstones, I just wasn't quick enough, I did manage to get their new sprayed edge Fourth Wing due for release in January. I rushed there so quickly I'm surprised I don't have whiplash. My poor card, my poor debit card. God Killer was another five-star read for me this year. Hannah Kainer's debut novel is a building's romance with a difference and I enjoyed every minute of it. I keep on checking her socials to see when the next one in the series will be announced but I haven't noticed anything yet. A.K. Mulford's The High Mountain Court is a story of war, genocide, hatred, anger, vengeance and vindication. It is also fantasy. A wonderful start to a great series and I loved every minute of it. I seriously need to get the rest of the books to find out how the story further develops. If you want cosy fantasy rather than something with lots of infighting, then you know where I'm going next. Travis Baldry's Legends and Lattes is cute, mostly happy and pure joy to read. The week of the 7th of November is going to be a full-on reading one for me because Bookshops and Bone Dust is another pre-release that I am eagerly waiting for. If you think I'm missing anything on this list, I am sure I am, let me know. Good book recommendations are always welcome. Two weeks into October already and the year is still going so quickly. I am a little in awe. One minute we're in January and the next we're mere weeks from November and time is flying. 
I have had a momentary blip where my book buying ban is concerned. In fact, this week I bought five books, but to be fair, they are all for the podcast. So I'm sort of hoping that negates it. They are definitely going to be read relatively swiftly. So that means theoretically they don't count, right? I went into October quite strong with the reading, finishing five books in four days. However, the last few days there has been a lot going on, so I will be playing catch up. I have two books on the go and every intention of finishing them before the end of the week, which is today. I need to remind myself constantly that I am not taking part in a competition and I want to enjoy these books, not make it feel like a chore. Sometimes I feel that is the mistake I'm making. I start a new month and tell myself I have to read so many books, but I don't have to read anything if I don't want to. I realised at the end of September that books are my happy place. Okay, I realised that a long time ago, but bear with me here. And this is something everyone needs. That being the case, is a book buying ban doing me any favours mentally? I guess I need to give that some really serious thought. While I've been avoiding the bookshops, I have been putting together a list of books that I'd like to buy because there are still 11, yes, 11 full width shelves to fill in my library. So much beautiful empty space. And I am still planning on that unhaul. So if you have any book recommendations, perhaps a new author or some light-hearted read you think I'll really enjoy, or maybe another genre you think I should add to my list, go for it. Email me at beingbookishpod at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram, where I also post pictures of my current and planned reads. So head over and check it out and give me a follow if you're on there already. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. The first one of the autumn went out last week and I'm already getting the next one ready to go. Check out the link in the episode notes to read the last one and to sign up for more. Well, that's it for this week and thank you again for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. It really does help to reach other people. You can follow me on Instagram and threads as Being Bookish Pod, on TikTok as Being Bookish Reviews where I've been a bit quiet of late, you know, life stuff, and on X as Being underscore Bookish though I've been a little quieter on there of late too. Or you can check out my website for the podcast back catalogue and full written spoiler-free book reviews at beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week. I am just about to start another new book. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. <laughs>